1: Take radio episode 99 for Thursday, Well, excuse me, for Wednesday, July 6th, 2011. The intro music you just heard was the Toyomasu Hotel Battle Without Honor or Humanity off the Kill Bill soundtrack. You can locate the Kill Bill soundtrack on Amazon.com or your local music retailer and probably on iTunes as well. The call in number is 347 324 3541. Again, that call in number is 347 347- 3243541 All right guys, obviously we are broadcasting on Wednesday as opposed to Thursday. A uh, little change in programming this week since it's my Mrs. birthday tomorrow. I figured it would be unfair to her and to the audience to do a half-assed show tomorrow. So I figured I'd give you guys a Wednesday freebie so to speak with our 99th episode. Of course, the big 100 is next week trying to line up a couple of special things for you guys. To celebrate episode 100, hopefully it all comes together and I can give you guys uh, a kick-ass and memorable 100th episode of MTR. A lot of really great things happening. We have a couple of pieces of hardware we got in this week from a couple, a couple of different vendors to be, well, we're going to be reviewing them. And I'm also trying my hand at doing some unboxing videos for My Take Radio TV on YouTube. Um a little. I'll tell you, I recorded one unboxing video for uh, Plantronics Gamescom X95 wireless headset I received. Really nice headset. I think I recorded six different unboxing videos and deleted most of them. Nonetheless, you're going to start seeing more tech stuff and unboxings and things like that on the YouTube channel within the next few days. Hopefully, the unboxing for the Plantronics X95 will be up this week once I watermark it and edit it accordingly. In addition to that, I will be reviewing it and posting the review on mytakeradio.com, and that's going to be from our buddies at Plantronics. I also received an OnLive micro console to test out the OnLive service. That's actually going to be reviewed and then given away to a lucky listener or fan within the next couple of weeks, probably within the next, I'd say, two weeks. We'll put something together to give away the on-live console. In addition to that, I got an SRS Labs iWow 3D music enhancement system for the iPod, iPad, and iPhone. Really cool little piece of technology that takes any headphones and gives them 3D quality sound on par with, you know, monster Dre beats, etc. Really cool little piece of technology from the guys at SRS Labs. That's actually going to be reviewed in the coming weeks as well. I got to take a moment before I get into anything else, and I promised these guys a shout-out last week, and it's a shout-out to Angelina's uh, Pizzeria and Fire Shack here in Long Island in New Hyde Park. They actually make the macaroni and cheese pizza I talked about on my personal Facebook page a couple of weeks back, and we were talking about the show, and they may actually let me broadcast the show there sometime, so definitely a shout-out to those guys for some kick-ass food. If you're in New York City, definitely check them out, and I promised them that shout-out last week. So I am a man of my word, and there you go. In regards to some other housekeeping things, our forums were updated recently to the Operating System 2.0 for Simple Machines, which is the application we use. As such, a lot of things were changed and removed, one of them being the chat, which I added in our forums, and was, I, I would say, mostly popular, I think, Uh, A lot of forum members felt that it detracted away from the forum just because people chose to hang out in the chat room instead. Right now, I'm kind of 50-50 about bringing the chat room back only because I know that some people really enjoyed it and Slick actually got a lot of use out of it for the Minority Film Report, so I may actually just put it on the front page for now. We'll see what we do in the coming weeks. There's also going to be a shout box and a couple of Profile updates for those of you that are currently on our forums. If you check your forum profiles You will see that you can now list your gamer tags in your profile so even though there's a thread set up on the forum for people to share their gamer tags You can now add them to your forum handles on the On the my take radio forum so figured I'd let you guys know that because that's a subtle change that not too many people noticed In addition to that, I sent out an email this week to our content partners as well as our staff regarding a couple of changes coming up in the near future, especially as MTR moves past episode 100 and moves into more mainstream stuff just besides our our core four topics of the show and what we cover on the site. We're going to be increasing our presence on the app side of things, those of you that have the MTR app which is available on the Android marketplace and in the iTunes store. We'll be getting more exclusive access to uh, the beyond the mic and behind the mic interview series. And also we are going to be doing more film reports besides the minority film report. We're going to be throwing some other stuff in there and maybe even some video podcasts as well for the iTunes subscribers. You'll be seeing that probably within the next, I'd say within the next two weeks, there's going to be a huge presence of, with regards to app exclusives. So if you haven't picked up the app, do yourselves a favor, head over to the Android Marketplace or the iTunes store and pick it up for $1.99. If you're listening to iTunes and you're on Facebook or are a GetGlue user, venture over to the left side of our fan page and feel free to check in with GetGlue. You can also check in on mytakeradio.com as well. Last but not least, on the housekeeping front, T-shirts... T-shirt designs are pretty much already spoken for. We got a couple of things in the pipe that we know a lot of you guys are going to like. I think the artists that I've been involved with are going to give you guys some really unique takes on on the My Take Radio brand uh, relating to what we cover and what we're all about. So there will be definitely something for everybody. So for those of you that are more into the gaming side of things as opposed to MMA or pro wrestling – there will be shirts and stuff acknowledging that, and you'll be seeing that probably within the next three weeks once designs are completely finalized and we see them on T-shirts and other merchandise as well. This week, I have no guest. I was originally scheduled to speak to Lex McMahon and Kelly Krieger from Alchemist MMA. They are the management company for Nate Marquardt. Unfortunately, there was a scheduling issue with Lex McMahon, he had to actually travel to Chicago, so he will be joining us probably on the 21st. For our 100th episode, I am hoping, fingers crossed, that we will be joined by the by the crew of The Deadliest Warrior. Of course, those guys have been with us since the very beginning and have supported the show always, and likewise, we do the same. They'll be stopping by, hopefully, to talk about the third season of The Deadliest Warrior if it doesn't happen for our 100th episode, I am hoping to get them in for on well get them on for the episode on the 28th. Just keep an eye out for the fan page as well as Twitter and of course mytakeradio.com for news regarding that, because that's actually something I'm really looking forward to. Only because those guys and Spike TV have supported my take radio from the beginning. So that, that's pretty much our guest rundown for the the, the month of July. Last but not least, we got a couple of articles on MyTakeRadio.com. Andrea actually wrote a really great article regarding some of the great programming offered by USA. Uh, Definitely head over, check it out. Feel free to comment either on our page or on the Facebook fan page. The USA Network doesn't get a lot of recognition, and they actually have some of the best weekly episodic programming, excluding wrestling, of course. But just a network that deserves to have some of its shows checked out. And I highly recommend it. So, again, check out her article. Feel free to comment. All right, tonight we're going to be talking about UFC 132, Faber, and Cruz. Really solid fights on that card. I was a little bummed out with some of the stuff that happened, but we'll be discussing that in detail in the MMA segment. Raw gets punked again. CM Punk has been on a roll every week, just clowning the WWE universe from Vince McMahon down. And the trend continued this week with a taped episode of Raw that was just as enjoyable taped as it would have been live because CM Punk is cutting some of the greatest promos I've, see, I've heard in recent memory. We got your video game news, we got your movie news, and that's going to wrap up the rundown. Uh, the, the monologue for this week is very interesting only because probably 100% real with you guys, I've had a miserable fucking day. Uh, for a multitude of reasons uh, personal and otherwise and it's always funny because I've realized that whenever I have a shitty day I tend to give you guys some really awesome radio. I guess uh, my my rage and my irritation Benefits the listening audience which I find to be amusing a couple of things. I wanted to discuss this week and The first thing I wanted to discuss and it, sh- it should be reserved for the video game segment, but In reading it, I was just dumbfounded that a site would publish that, this particular article. And it's about uh, professional gaming, and it was written by the guys over at Kotaku, which I read Kotaku daily because I have them in my RSS feed. And occasionally them, Gizmodo, and a couple of the big uh, test site, uh, gaming and tech sites, put out some really suspect content. Usually it's called out by the guy... From game journalists are incompetent fuckwits. He has a Tumblr blog, which acknowledges some of the bullshit that goes on in video game press. But this particular article, I actually read, and I was dumbfounded because a couple of weeks back I said um, that you know professional gaming has gotten a bum rap from the mainstream gaming community only because there's a couple of people out there that paint esports as it's aptly named in a, in a negative light and as such leave a uh, bitter taste in the mouths of of other gamers because they feel that the professional gaming community kind of has a holier than thou attitude which again understandable but in researching it you guys learned so much more you know interviewing these guys the last couple of weeks i've learned so much and reading this article really bummed me out this article was written by Jen Schiller from uh, Kotaku, and um, needless to say, pretty much to sum it up, they shit on professional gamers, and um, the, the way they look at it, it just portrayed all those negative stereotypes that we've all come to know and love associated with, professional gaming and the reason why I'm I'm dumbfounded that this article would even be published on Kotaku is because Kotaku reaches out to all members of the gaming community casual, hardcore and professional and to publish such a, a an interview and, and and an article that just shit all over the the gaming the professional gaming community was really really shitty on their part one particular thing that that bugged me out uh, is this particular thing and I'm going to break it down to you i'm going to read some excerpts of the article and um you guys can make your own assumptions like i said it was written by jen schiller and it starts like this professional gamer david Tracy or Zacubus to his um fans recently spoke to alienware about the changing face the changing face of professional gaming based on his interview however there's not much to talk about while tracy compares the world of professional gaming to the economy citing the following, it grew rapidly over the last decade then almost imploded on itself. He also mentions that the hardware is getting better, new games are being produced, and huge corporations such as Coke, Pepsi, Subway, and Adidas are signing on as sponsors. Now, in reading that, I see nothing wrong with him stating that that particular aspect of gaming has grown, and um, perfectly relevant stuff. Now, here's where the interview gets inter- the article gets interesting. If there's no, no audience base for professional gaming, then Tracy blames television for being ill-equipped to properly capture the essence of gaming events. Every TV show I've seen so far has been way too cheesy and not indicative of what pro gaming is about. That is true. Trying to squeeze an event into a 60-minute broadcast doesn't even really work for gaming. Only recently, thanks to MLG, can we see what gaming events really should look like. Great shout casting, well, well presented, and without the need to cheese it up for regular people to understand. Now, the writer of the article said, without this cheesiness that Tracy is referring to, what could possibly be left? She goes on to say, Don't get me wrong. I love watching people who are better than me at video games play them for money, especially when I don't know these people. Oh, wait. No, I don't. In continuing to elaborate in the article, uh, Miss Schiller says the following, Tracy also describes the difficulties that one must endure in order to really make it as a pro gamer, a thankless prof- profession that only pays about $30,000 annually before sponsorships. His advice to aspiring pros boil down to the following, it's really hard, it's not easy to go pro, and also it takes time and if you don't pick the right games, you could spend over two years mastering a certain game only to have it blown out of the water as no one is sponsoring it anymore. So pick wisely. Oh, and don't rage so much from losses. You can only learn from your mistakes. And the person, uh, Miss Schiller, Jen Schiller, closed out the article by saying, here's to staying one of the regular people. Now, not only did I find the condescending tone of this article to be completely fucking stupid, but it's like me talking about gaming on this show, and calling my gaming audience a bunch of assholes. That's pretty much what this person did with using Kotaku as its medium. They pretty much said, professional gamers are fucking dicks, their sport isn't really a sport, and it fucking sucks. I've been doing my homework after announcing our partnership with Unveil, and I've been watching a lot of different web streams and different webcasts of live gaming events. And to contradict what she wrote, I got to say that she is so full of shit. Professional gaming events are great displays of gamers coming out of the proverbial shell, coming out of their basements that they live in, their you know, the basements that are in their mom's houses that they live in, and associating on a real-world platform. I don't understand how you can sit there and complain about professional gaming being mainstream television when you have shit like the jersey shore you got real housewives of new jersey la fucking tijuana mexico california all this shit on your television on a daily basis and something so innocent and so profitable as video games which by the way is estimated to generate 74 billion dollars boggles my mind how does this chick get off not looking at this particular side of gaming I'll tell you guys right off the bat, I was completely uninformed going into the interviews with some of the professional gaming community. And reading that upset me because we are all gamers. Sure, some of us are casual. Some of us only play Angry Birds. Some of us only play fucking Checkers or Plants vs. Zombies. But all of us pick up some sort of a medium, whether it's a DS, an iPad, a phone, a console, and we play it and we enjoy it. What's the matter with taking something you enjoy and making money off of it? The Joker said it best in The Dark Knight. If you're good at something, don't do it for free. If you have a great talent at video games and you can make $30,000 a year, why would you want to sit behind a desk in a fucking cubicle typing your life away? How does that happen? To sit there and say some shit like that is beyond me. and, And the fact that the editors of Kotaku just let this shit slide out of its proverbial asshole and offend the gaming community, because if you scroll down into the comments section, you'll see how many people go and shit on this post. And you know what? I'm one of them. I share their disgust, because... Even as a casual or semi-hardcore gamer, I understand the value of taking what you're good at and making money with it. I do it with this show. I do it with anything else. If I'm good at something, why not get paid for it? To sit there and say that they have no fan base and that you're going to want to, quote-unquote, stay as one of the regular people. If the regular people means hiding behind a video game website, hiding behind the anonymity of the Internet, and shitting on something that you clearly don't know nothing about – then maybe you're writing for the wrong fucking site. Maybe you need to write for Good Housekeeping or, you know, BBW Magazine or some bullshit. Why don't you do that? Because obviously you're not a legit gamer if you can shit on this aspect of gaming. If you go into some of the Facebook video game groups, you see plenty of video game tournament footage. Maybe you don't like Call of Duty. That's fine. Maybe you're not a Street Fighter buff. That's great. But there is an avenue to make money in those genres so to sit there and write this article is i i was shocked that that this shit really got out there and kataku should be kind of embarrassed that they really took their audience and dropped a giant bag of shit on them that's pretty much it man i i, I could beat this up and i could even email jen schiller and bring her on the show and probably rip her to shreds but in doing that that gains her more press. So I sincerely hope that people just state their case and state their disgust with this article. I posted the URL in our chat room. And make your voices heard because I just think that painting professional gaming in such a negative light like this does not do anything to benefit the gaming community. And honestly, Kotaku should be ashamed for even letting that shit get out. All right. Let me just get off my soapbox real quick, get myself into MMA mode, and we will get the party started right after this commercial break.
0: What wonder what's on tonight, even. Tonight at 10 on your local news.
2: I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you save me? This is the deal of the century, people, I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean,
0: what... What are we doing tonight, tumbling with tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Blogtalkradio.com, Eastern Standard Time? Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? <laughs>
1: All right, let's get right into UFC 132. Now, UFC 132 had a lot of serious implications, primarily the bantamweight title with Uriah Faber and Dominic Cruz being the main event had huge implications, not only for the future of the division, but would Uriah Faber be successful in claiming the belt as his own, as being one of the only guys to give a loss to Dominic Cruz. That was one of the big stories going in. In addition to that, we expected a bloodbath between Vandele Silva and Chris Lieben, and also the swan song for possibly one of the legendary figures of the sport, that being Tito Ortiz. Needless to say, some people were disappointed, some people were shocked, but in the end, I was entertained. Now, I'm going to jump around and go through certain fights that I want to discuss. Uh, right off the bat, the the first fight I want to get into is the pay-per-view side of things. The, the, the TV side of things, I was very surprised about some of the results, but one result that I was super pumped to see was Melvin Gallard secure himself a knockout win over Shane Royer. Now, Melvin Gallard is a, a great asset to the 155-pound division. The kid's charismatic. He's got himself in order working with Greg Jackson. And I know for a fact that this kid definitely has title contention is in his future. He looked great in that fight. And I, I was really impressed. Just a vicious, vicious KO. He took a, uh, Roy a ended up dropping to the floor, getting dropped at one point, getting to his feet and eating a knee and just getting the knockout. It was ridiculous. Super pumped and super excited for Melvin Gallard. I sincerely hope he does get considered for a title opportunity in the future because he looked awesome at 155. Now, on the pay-per-view side of things, uh, I'll start off Dong Young Kim and Carlos Condit on at the, on the 170-pound division. And let me tell you, Dong Young Kim is a, a, a fantastic 170-pounder. He was coming in. 14-0, and 0. just a, a great fighter, always exciting to watch. Carlos Condit was not fucking around. He took that fight with a beautiful flying knee. It was ridiculous. That took out uh, Dong Young Kim, and as soon as he hit the floor, he got caught also with a flurry of punches. Really great performance by Condit. Makes you wonder if he's going to be considered for... Uh, title shot now against the winner of GSP and Nate Diaz. Honestly, I'd like to see Nate Diaz and Carlos Condit. That would be a fantastic fight. Both of those guys leave it all in the cage, and I was super impressed, super impressed with Condit. Now, on the light heavyweight side of things, Ryan Bader and Tito Ortiz, of course, many felt that this was the swan song for Tito Ortiz just because he's coming off losses, shitty performances, the uh, pretty much the twitter meltdown of his relationship with jenna jameson tito was honestly backed into a corner really backed into a corner with this fight and i gotta i gotta tell you he fucking delivered tito ortiz did what everybody did not think possible went in there did his thing dropped Bader with a right hook and then not only did he drop him with the right hook but secured a guillotine and ended up choking out Ryan Bader so Tito Ortiz lives to fight another day and uh, most people are saying that Bader's stock dropped dropped quite a bit of course it's been said that Tito Ortiz would like to fight the winner of Forrest Griffin and Shogun Hua which also has the implications of an awesome fight and with that said should Tito Ortiz beat either Shogun or Forrest does this put him back in title contention does he need one more fight is this actually the last few great fights that Tito has in him before he retires? We're going to be watching this with much interest. I was honestly very happy for Tito Ortiz. I think he's a great guy. He's a fantastic ambassador for the sport. His shit-talking is legendary. And with that, he's one of the last old-timers left that's going in there and doing his thing. You know, we no more Chuck Liddell, no more Randy Couture. Let's not even talk about Ken Shamrock. To to quote what he said, he really is the last of the Mohicans only because he's one of the original guys that's still in there doing his thing. And I guess from a nostalgic standpoint, it it makes me happy to see him win. But I think that Tito has one more run left in him. And I sincerely hope that he goes out on his own terms and not uh, gingerly pushed out by Dana White. So I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was very happy with the result. On the lightweight side of things, the fight with Matt Wyman and Dennis Seaver was very exciting. A lot of people felt that Wyman took the fight, but Seaver ended up winning by unanimous decision. Overall, it was a very exciting fight. I think Seaver looked really good in the first round, but Wyman, in my eyes, looked solid in rounds two and three. Like, I, like they always saying, you know, I've said it a thousand times, don't leave the shit in the hands of the judges because they'll fuck you at every opportunity they get. Now, the co-main event of the evening, Chris Lieben and Vanderlei Silva. Of course, Vanderlei, if you don't know who Vanderlei is, you're not an MMA fan, period. If you don't know, do yourselves a favor, go on YouTube and check it out. Because it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. His career, his knockouts. There was a point where he knocked out Rampage and left them sprawled out, hanging over the ropes. In pride fighting. It was fantastic. That was one of the many fights that made me a fan of Vanderlei Sova. And mind you, I like Rampage. But the level of viciousness in that knockout just can't be described. Do yourselves a favor. Look up Vanderlei on YouTube. There are a ton of fucking highlight vids out there. Educate yourselves, people. But honestly, super pumped for this fight. I expected a bloodbath. I expected these guys to just come into the center of the cage and beat the shit out of each other. And... That did happen, but it ended a lot quicker than I expected with Chris Lieben actually getting the better of the exchange, catching Vanderlei with an uppercut, and finishing him off with a flurry of strikes in 27 seconds at the start of the first round. I was fucking devastated. And it didn't add to the fact that they cut to Justin Bieber after that and showed them all happy and shit. It's like, dude, I just watched one of my favorite fighters and a legend get knocked out, and here you are like, oh my God, Justin Bieber's in the audience. It's like, I understand that uh, that celebrities attend UFC events, but must you, must you just throw the Bieber out there? Oh my God, Justin Bieber. Like anyone, no MMA fan gives two shits that Justin Bieber's there. I would have actually appreciated it more, if they would have just been like, yeah, Justin Bieber was in attendance in like a report and leave it at that. Don't have to fucking plaster his mug on my fucking television. I want to see people getting beat to death. I don't want to see, you know, a, a, a girl who actually thinks it's a guy. Give me a fucking break. But I, I think that's also my my disgust with Vanderlei Silva losing, uh, rubbing off on, on Justin Bieber. It's not It's not his fault. He fucking sucks. But besides the fact what happens to van Sova at this point I, I can't even tell you i mean dana white has said some stuff which i'll elaborate on in the in the mma news but it's it's crazy he got put out in 27 seconds it's like chuck liddell all over again can the axe murderer bounce back i hope so because you know what van de Silva could lose 150 times and he'll still be exciting in more fights than any young guy in the ufc today period because he's just that awesome. I mean, excluding the the lighter divisions, which are always great, but Vandele Silva's the, the last of a dying breed. Let's move into the main event for the Bantamweight Championship with Dominic Cruz versus Uriah Faber. Of course, Uriah Faber, the heavy favorite, considering that he gave Dominic Cruz his first loss. I will tell you this, Dominic Cruz learned from that loss, and boy, did it show. He looked fantastic in his fight against Faber, Faber, of course, no slouch as always. It was five rounds of greatness from start to finish. These guys, they went in there and they had some great exchanges. There were points where Faber got the better of the exchanges, then Cruz, and it went back and forth. I actually had the fight, and and I'm sure a lot of people will be pissed that I said it. I actually had the fight listed as a draw, which would have been terrible. But I believe that they were planning on instituting. The the no draw rule with uh, with another round, but I was I was dumbfounded that Cruz took it not because he took it he took the victory but because he took it in unanimous decision via unanimous decision. I honestly felt that Faber looked really good in round four. He um he actually w- had a shot he had a hard shot to knock Cruz down. Cruz gets back up, gets hit with an uppercut. Faber was the aggressor in that round, which going, shooting in for takedowns. But for some reason, they gave the complete fight unanimously to Dominic Cruz. I'm telling you right now, there will be a rematch. The fight was way too awesome for there not to be one. Both guys look great in that fight. And both, if you're not a fan of the bantamweight division and the WEC guys, this is one of those fights that helps solidify that. Leonard Garcia, uh, the current versus the Korean zombie was one of those fights. Cruz and Faber is another fight that has to go in there. Of course, Pettis versus uh, Ben Henderson goes up there as well. Just fantastic fights from the WEC talent, and they delivered, man. It was a solid, it was a solid, solid card, worth the 60 bucks for sure. Like I said, I know there will probably be a rematch between Faber and Cruz, and I will definitely be ordering it if I'm going to be guaranteed another war like the war we saw at this pay-per-view. All right, that's going to wrap up the recap of UFC 132. Let's pull up the MMA news, a couple of things. The knockout, the bonuses for UFC 132 were $75,000 apiece. They went to the following fighters. Knockout of the night went to Carlos Condit. Submission of the night went to Tito Ortiz. And fight of the night, which is a no-brainer, went to Dominic Cruz and Uriah Faber. All these fighters now get $75,000 bonuses. But coming out of that card as well, they released a report with what the fighters earned for these fights. Tito Ortiz and Vandele Silva were the top earners. Ortiz earned $450,000 for his victory over Ryan Bader, and Vandele earned $200,000 even though he lost to Chris Levin. The numbers are ridiculous. On the the bantamweight side of things, Dominic Cruz made $40,000. That included a $20,000 win bonus. Uriah Faber made $32,000. Chris Lieben made $92,000. That includes a $46,000 win bonus. Of course, like I said, Vanderlei made $200,000. Tito Ortiz made $450,000. He got no win bonus. Ryan Bader made $20,000. Huge differences in pay there, folks. Huge differences. All right. Now, of course, post-fight, Dana White is asked all the usual questions, one of which was Vanderlei Silva's loss to Chris Lieben. When asked about Vanderlei's future and where he goes from here, he he answered with the following. People love him so much because of the way he fights and his style and the type of person he is, but yeah, it's probably the end of the road for Vanderlei. When asked about his opinion of the fight, he said people knew that Silva Silva and Lieben were going to come out and they were going to throw until somebody fell down, and it was Vanderlei tonight. When asked if Vanderlei would retire... He said, "I think it's one of those ones where I'd like to sit down and talk to him and kind of chuckle Dell him into it. I think the guy has nothing left to prove. He's a warrior. People love him all over the world, and I just don't want to see I just don't want to see that happen to him anymore. I think that pushing somebody to retire in my eyes is not really the best thing to do. I, I think that Vanderlei should be given another opportunity. I think that like anybody else, he got caught with a with a flash KO." If he gets caught again, maybe you might want to start discussing retirement. But if I've learned anything and watching MMA in so many years, it's that on any given night, anybody can get knocked out. So in this particular instance, it was Vanderlei. But you know what? He, he's a guy that is just too exciting to watch to just let retire and not be given another opportunity. So I really hope that Vanderlei fights sooner rather than later. I think he's a great ambassador for the sport. His level of aggression, his viciousness, And the way he sells fights, strictly on fighting style alone, without trash talking and bullshit, is a testament to how great he is as a fighter. And I really would not like to see him go out with a loss. If he does retire, I'd like to finally see these guys retire with a win. But we shall see what happens. Moving on, of course, we got UFC 133. Spike TV will be doing a countdown to UFC 133 August 1st at 11 p.m. UFC 133, the main event is Phil Davis versus Rashad Evans. You got Rich Franklin and Antonio Hagerio Nogueira, uh, Yoshihiro Akayama and Vitor Belfort, Jorge Rivera and Alessio Sakara, and Rory McDonald versus Mike Pyle. On the prelims, which will be on Spike TV, you got Alexander Gustafson versus Vladimir Matushenko, and Chad Mendes versus Ronnie Yaya. On the prelims, which will probably end up on Facebook, you got Brian Ebersole versus Dennis Hallman, Ivan Menjavar versus Nick Pace, Johnny Hendrix versus Mike Pierce, and Mike Brown versus Nam Fan. It's also rumored that Rafael Sapo Natal is going to be fighting Constantinos Philippu. We'll see what happens with that fight as it has not officially been announced. Again, UFC 133 is going to take place August 6th, and the countdown will be taking place August 1st at 11 PM on Spike TV. Now, in some strike force news. We got a couple of things to discuss. Scott Coker has gone on record as saying that, that Strike Force's lightweight champion Gilbert Melendez will be fighting in Strike Force for his next fight. Coker said that while Melendez's next fight is expected to be over against Jorge Masvidal, it isn't official, he also will not be making the jump to the UFC a la Nick Diaz. He elaborated on that with the following statement. Right now, there are no other fighters that are going to go over there, said Coker. We expect them to continue fighting in Strike Force and getting ready for a fight in the fall. Personally, I think all these guys should fight each other, but where and when, if that happens, it'll be down the line. We're going to keep everything separate for now. I have a feeling that Gilbert Melendez, if he beats Masvidal, is going to try and get out of his contract, much like Nick Diaz, and vacate the lightweight belt and go to Strike Force. We'll see what happens. With regards to that, because I actually do have some UFC lightweight title news, which should be interesting as well, given what's been going on. In some other Strikeforce news, Scott Coker said that Tyrone Woodley would be meeting Paul Daly, and they would their fight would determine a number one contender for Nick Diaz's, vac- Nick Diaz's vacant title. So that's going to be a number, number one contendership fight. Coker didn't specifically call it that, but he hinted at the possibility of the winner getting a title shot. He stated, I would say the winner of that fight, we're going to be keeping an eye on. I think by the end of the year, you'll see a title fight happening. As, as I've said, the title is currently vacant as Nick Diaz dropped the belt. Well, he relinquished the belt to go and fight George St. Pierre in the UFC. Coker also said that they are not rushing to get a new champion and are instead looking for top contenders for the belt. He stated, we're about to fight another fighter, we're about to sign another fighter, that until it's done, I don't want to say who it is. It's possible a new fighter could immediately fight for the title. Maybe we'll give him one fight, but we'll see what happens. But I definitely think the experience will speak for itself. I think at this point, the quote-unquote business-as-usual statement from the merger is pretty much bullshit, to say the least, only because... Little by little, the business as usual is not really applicable like it was when the merger was announced. As you can see, Nick Diaz already left, and you know Gilbert Melendez has gone on record as saying that he wants to fight in the UFC for the lightweight belt, and he's been very vocal about it. Something tells me that a lot of these guys are either going to let their contracts expire or maybe have their contracts bought out by the UFC – only because they know that the, the, the bulk of the competition at this point is in the UFC. Will the UFC do something to maybe offset that by adding fighters to the Strike Force roster? It remains to be seen. But if they don't do something, I'm gonna see, uh, you're going to start seeing a lot more champions from Strike Force weasel their way out of contracts. Let's just put it that way. As I said earlier in the, light, in the lightweight title picture on the UFC side, Frankie Edgar has been cleared to fight and could be ready as soon as October, according to his manager Ali Abdul Aziz. Gray Maynard, on the other hand, has not been given the go-ahead and has no medical clearance. His manager Gil Martinez hopes that he will be cleared this week. Gray Maynard underwent arthroscopic surgery on his knee in May from an injury he said he sustained while training. That combined with Edgar's back problems caused them both to withdraw from their UFC 130 match. And I got to give a shout out to MMA Junkie for that bit of news. It's good to see that Frankie Edgar's on the mend. Gray Maynard not being cleared to fight is very interesting. It poses the question of do they have Edgar meet uh, Anthony Pettis at this point, or do they have? or do they wait for Maynard to heal up and get the rematch? It's going to be a very interesting time in the lightweight division because I can see the UFC waiting for their champion to heal up, but not so much the challenger. Last but not least, the guys over at Heavy MMA reported this afternoon that sources are saying that there is, uh, that it's almost final that Chael Sonnen will be meeting Brian Stan at UFC 136 this October in Houston, Texas. Originally, it was practically a lock that Sonnen and Lyoto Machida would be meeting at light heavyweight, but they ultimately decided against it. Of course, Brian Stan is coming off a huge win streak with knockout wins over Chris Lieben and Jorge Santiago. This puts him right up there in the middleweight division, and it makes you wonder if this fight will decide a number one contender to meet either Anderson Silva or Yushin Okami. Very interesting. I actually wouldn't have mind Chael Sonnen fighting at light heavyweight only because he talked a lot of shit about, you know, Machida, Anderson Silva. So him fighting Machida would just be very interesting to see. Not only that, it's also interesting because, you know, a lot of shit talking from Chael, especially towards the Brazilians. But I think him and Brian Stan should be an, uh, an exciting fight. Brian Stan is a great stand-up. Will he be able to stop Chael Sonnen shoot and be able to sprawl and brawl? We'll find out UFC 136 this October in Houston, Texas. Last but not least, there's been a change for the UFC 134 event in, in Brazil. Dan Miller has stepped up to replace Alexandre Ferreira, who was scheduled to meet middleweight Rusamal Parharas. Uh, Ferreira's injury, as of this time, is not been revealed. So Dan Miller stepping up. Huge Dan Miller fan. Excited to see him fight in Brazil going against an always dangerous Rusamal Parharis. His leg locks are ridiculous, and he can catch you from anywhere. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we are going to be talking some wrestling right after this.
0: You know those shows where they play video game music, and they laugh in like really high voices? Like,
2: <laughs>
0: well, you won't listen to that on our show. Because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So, um, really good for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality, and uh, void of fake laughter. Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights, on All Games. The World Wrestling Federation, for over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment.
1: All right, guys, let's talk Monday Night Raw first. I'm not going to go through the typical rigmarole of talking about every match, especially on a taped Raw. I will tell you that Santino Morella, Vladimir Kozlov versus Michael McGillicuddy and David Otunga was a train wreck of a match. I don't know what the deal is with Santino and Kozlov. I enjoy those guys, but their work with McGillicuddy and fucking Starscream sucked. It was really weird, especially post-match when Zack Ryder just came out and said, woo, 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 you know it, and that was it. I don't know if it's a potential feud with the Nexus. Maybe he's going to get himself a tag partner. Who knows? But it was just so random, so out of place. No idea where they're going with it, but you know what? Zack Ryder on TV is never a bad thing. Now, one of the matches that was done, uh, which supposedly was supposed to be for a number one contendership spot, was Del Rio, Rey Mysterio, and R-Truth. Rey Mysterio and R-Truth, well, Alberto Del Rio beat Rey Mysterio and R-Truth, but he ended up securing the victory with a cross-arm breaker, on Mysterio. Now, here's the beauty of WWE continuity, and that is that, as I said, Alberto Del Rio secured himself a number one contender slot by defeating Rey Mysterio with the cross arm breaker. Now, let's fast forward a bit past The Miz and Alex Riley, which, of course, Riley won. I don't know why they're making The Miz look like a fool, but let's fast forward to the end of Monday Night Raw with a promo between John Cena and Vince McMahon. Now, Vince McMahon comes out, says that Punk was suspended because he deserves it, blah, blah, blah. He said that Punk's contract is expiring soon and that he wasn't going to allow him to wrestle for the belt, etc., etc., etc. John Cena cut a very solid promo, not his typical screaming, saluting, blah, 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 I'm going to make funny, lame PG jokes. He cut a strong, solid promo that not only helped solidify the importance of this event, but also made CM Punk look like, look like somebody that needed to be there. The funny thing about the WWE is that CM Punk is leaving the company. They've, they've exhausted all options on getting him to stay, but so many wrestlers are siding with CM Punk in every bit of promo work that he's done that it's amazing that WWE doesn't do something crazy to keep him. The the promo from John Cena was very passionate, very – you can tell that there was real emotion in there. It wasn't that typical cookie-cutter, blah, 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 I'm the champ, the champ is here, my face is going to shake because my teeth are clenched too tight, G.I. Joe bullshit that John Cena does. It was real, it was human, and it was a, a really great promo. And, and And watching that promo, I got to see – not only legit emotion, which is something that WWE programming is missing, but just a, a, an air of realism that allowed you as a wrestling fan to slightly suspend disbelief. We all know that CM Punk is not suspended and that he ended up being reinstated for his match with John Cena. But just adding that little bit of realism where it made you question whether it was a work or a shoot was spoke volumes of what WWE has the potential to do. As a company, you would think that the amount of energy they've invested into the promo for John Cena and the creativity that CM Punk has exhibited, that they would go out of their way to keep this guy. He's a, you know, CM Punk is a guy that really should be the number one heel in your company, period. CM Punk is one of the best guys in the game today. His promo work, fantastic. His wrestling ability, great. Great. And he's one of the few guys that can go in there, cut a promo, and still be cheered for it. There's very few guys that are able to do that. And then as I've continued to, to see on Twitter and on other social media networks, and also just talking to other fans, Stone Cold Steve Austin w- was very proud of CM Punk. And I can see why. Because like I said, that promo was CM Punk's Stone Cold moment. That was his promo about the WWE was his Austin 316 means I just whooped your ass. It was, it was so perfect, so powerful, and it voiced so much of the displeasure of your locker room that it's going to be a promo that's going to be discussed for, for years to come just because of the impact it had on the business. Now, WWE can take two things from this and grow from it. They can let CM Punk win the belt, thus kind of killing the brand extension and allowing the world championship to be defended on both brands, or they'll just go with the safe bet. CM Punk will lose. They'll give him a nice farewell and he'll walk off into the sunset. We'll see what happens come um, money in the bank in Chicago should be interesting for sure. Now on the, General wrestling news that happened this week. It was actually a very light week because of the holiday weekend. But I did want to acknowledge two things that came out of the news this week. Number one was an interview that Billy Gunn did with the Kingston Wig Standard promoting a championship wrestling show July 23rd. And during that interview, Billy Gunn stated that himself, Sean Waltman, and Road Dog should be inducted into the Hall of Fame as part of D-Generation X. He stated, I think we do. I still think we have a place up there to work, not work wrestling-wise, but work to help the younger guys coming up. Do I think we deserve the Hall of Fame? Yeah, of course we do. Now, there's been a lot of debate about this because a lot of people are saying, like, ah, you know, Billy Gunn sucks, Road Dogg sucks. But you know what? During that tag team run with D-Generation X, that was some of the best and most entertaining work I've seen from those guys in ages. And you can't really think of D-Generation X as just Shawn Michaels and HBK. You, nobody else can remember, you know, you know, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you know. no, no the, the things that made the crowd eat out of their hands. Their mic work was, was great just because it was engaging, it was fun. You can't sit there and think of um, – just DX being Triple H and Shawn Michaels or HBK. Uh, I fucked that up again. Slick corrected me and I messed it up. Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Sorry. Little tired. I think that he does have a valid argument. I think Billy Gunn is is kind of right. I think that going into it and saying that they should be in there is is up for debate. But in my eyes, they, when you think D-Generation X, you do think those guys. It, it was always the five of them and China. Simple as that. It wasn't just Shawn Michaels. It wasn't just Triple H. It was a unit. When you think back to them storming WCW and driving, in, you know, driving into the tank and going, oh, let my people go. It wasn't just Shawn Michaels and Triple H on that tank. It was the New Age Outlaws and China, and X-Pac, it was, it, that's the way it, it's always been, at least if you want to do it right, put D-Generation X in the Hall of Fame as a, as a group, just because that way, you can get those guys in there as a group, and nobody will feel left out, simple as that, put them in as a, as a tag team, or as a faction, and I think all the fans will be happy with that, now, another thing about the Hall of Fame that came out this week was that Randy Orton took to Twitter and started campaigning for Arn Anderson to be in the Hall of Fame. Now, as a wrestling fan, I'm dumbfounded that Stone Cold Steve Austin and so many of these other more, you know, younger guys from the Attitude Era are in the Hall of Fame, and Arn Anderson is not. Arn Anderson was part of the Brain Busters. He was part of the Four Horsemen. I can go down a list of tag teams he's been involved in, and it's just bugged out that he was not part of the Hall of Fame. I, I mean, I know I see that Slick said that Arn Anderson was boring, but his wrestling spoke for itself. It, it's 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 funny. It is true. I mean, his mic work was kind of formulaic, but his work with the Brain Busters, with Bobby the Brain Heenan, with the Four Horsemen, especially with Ric Flair... was was really great work. Arn Anderson, spine busters for everybody. I always thought that he was in there for some reason, him and Ole Anderson. I really thought they were, and I'm shocked that they're not. But Randy Orton wasn't the only one that took to Twitter to voice that. Chris Jericho did as well. He said uh, Arn Anderson should be in the Hall of Fame for his personality alone. Funniest dude in wrestling. William Regal also voiced his approval On Twitter by saying I agree with Randy Orton about about Arn Anderson, another mentor of mine since I came to America. I don't think that anyone from our generation hasn't learned or laughed with Arn Anderson. He went on to elaborate a statement that Arn Anderson, well, uh, something that Arn Anderson said to Midian, which you guys may remember as being part of the Undertaker's ministry. He said to Midian, and I quote. You don't just have the worst body in this wrestling business, but in any business, including Marshmallow Taster. So (laughs) the fact that he said that to Midian put a chuckle on my face when I read that this afternoon. But Arn Anderson should be in the Hall of Fame, like I said, part of some great factions and tag teams. And the fact that he is not in there is ridiculous. All right, guys, I'm going to take another commercial break. When I come back, we're going to be talking some video games right after
0: this.
2: Born com. extremely short commercial.
0: We now return to your registered program, My Take Radio. Rich, take it away.
1: All right, let's talk some video games. First off, we got some DLC news coming in. For The first game that has some DLC that I want to talk about is Red Dead Redemption. Oh, yeah. I know we all remember that game that consumed countless hours, GTA in the Wild West. Well, you know what? Dust it off, because there's a new downloadable content pack coming out called the Fan Appreciation DLC, and it is going to be my favorite four-letter word besides fuck, free. It's going to feature fan-favorite multiplayer characters along with new content for some of the multiplayer modes. Rockstar that did not give any further information or a date, but all of that should be revealed within the next few weeks. In some other DLC news, WWE All Stars is getting some downloadable content packs. Already available is the Million Dollar Pack, which includes Ted DiBiase and his son Ted DiBiase Jr. That pack is going to run you two dollars. July fifth, they released the All Time's Great, the All Time Greats Pack which included Hawk and Animal, Jerry Lawler, and Chris Jericho. That pack will run you 4 bucks. The next one is going to be coming out August 2nd, and that's the Southern Charisma Pack for $3. You're going to get the Big Boss Man, Michael Hayes, and Mark Henry. July 5th also marked the, re- the release of a free R-Truth. All the little Jimmys can now celebrate that R-Truth is part of their WWE All-Star Experience. I guess R Truth finally got got, didn't he? Alright. Now this is some crazy shit because I didn't think I, I've heard of games getting leaked and shit like that happening. Usually a week or two their release, sometimes a month before their release, but this takes the cake. Gears of War Three has currently made its way to torrent sites across the world. Gears of War Three A developer copy has been leaked out. I actually popped into a torrent site earlier this week and saw it listed, and I actually have to do a double take, and I was like, that can't be right. Clicked it, took a look, and sure as shit, that's what it is. But it seems that the copy that was released is a developer copy, and it includes the single-player campaign and some of the multiplayer campaign as well. The game will only play on modified debug Xbox 360s. The final retail copy is slated to drop September 20th. Now digital spy is reporting that the, the leak for gears of war three is being investigated. Epic games is going to be working with law enforcement to uncover the specifics. And the company has stressed that the copy is not representative of the game's final product. Now, Rev Dana, Dana Cowley has gone on to say that we've seen reports of Gears of War 3 content being propped on the web and are working closely with our security teams and law enforcement to address the situation. This content is not from a final build and is not representative of what fans will enjoy when the game launches worldwide on September 20th. The leaked copy of the game appeared this past weekend, and story spoilers based on it being released have already been put on various websites i haven't actually gone and gone out of my way to read the spoilers only because i do want to play the game regardless of how i feel about cliffy b and whether you know the fact that i think that he is a complete douchebag does not take away from the fact that i actually do enjoy playing the gears of war games and i'm looking forward to playing three so the fact that it got leaked is fucked up will they be caught definitely Next up, Digital Spy gave us a lot of news this week. Microsoft has gone on record as claiming that Halo 4 will be similar to the first game. While it's unknown how, the, how it will be similar, Microsoft refers to the game as the beginning of a new trilogy. Microsoft UK's Stephen McGill stated the following, One of the key things with Halo 4 is going back to what made it amazing for people playing the first Halo. But the people who are 18 years old now were only 8 when Halo appeared. They probably didn't play it. That's the opportunity the Anniversary Pack and then Halo 4 have. McGill went on to say that the Halo Combat Combat Evolved Anniversary is huge and is a product of great passion. It's important that we celebrate this. The game itself was a huge milestone for us and kickstarted the platform in a lot of ways. But the platform has evolved dramatically in that time, so it's worth going back to show how it still stands up as a product made today. The Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary Edition will be released November 15th. Halo 4 will be released in late 2012. Now, as I've said, if Halo 4 is meant to be a new trilogy, it should have had some sort of a subtitle, something else. Don't just slap a number 4 in front of it, because if Halo 3 was quoted as finishing the fight, what the fuck is Halo 4 going to be? Honestly, guys, you could have done something different. You could have called it the Master Chief Chronicles Part 1, something else, just something to differentiate it from that franchise because by putting a number four behind it yet saying it's a new trilogy, I know, I know people are stupid, but there there's an extent to how stupid people are and nobody's going to buy it. They're just going to be like, I it's Halo four simple as that. Now, last week I discussed the violent video game bill and, um, the fact that it was not approved in the state of California. And I was very happy that our government did something right but of course it only takes one week for them to do something stupid the senate is considering passing a bill uh, titled s 978 called the let's making let's play videos uh resulting in jail time now you're asking yourself what does that mean basically the bill states that any Streaming, unauthorized copyrighted materials will result in felony charges with up to with uh, penalties of up to five years in jail. As of right now, copyright holders can issue notices and take content down. you know the, so when you do like a cover song and throw it on YouTube, and then all of a sudden it disappears mysteriously, all that stuff now is just, "Hey, we gave you a warning. we took your video down. Now they actually want to pass a bill making it illegal the jail time and felony statuses were never a part of this initially you know the youtube and other networks took the videos down and that was it the law would include homemade gameplay clips music videos cover songs and much more it's also rumored that it may cover cell phone videos of concerts and press events so all those clips that you put you know all those streaming street fighter clips and all those crazy music videos you do may be ruled illegal if this bill passes. Now, if you guys do not want this piece of shit bill to pass, do yourselves a favor, write to your local state senator as a gamer and just as a person who wants to be part of the political process and let your voices be heard and tell them to take Bill S-978 and shove it right up their ass. Last bit of video game news to wrap things up. Sony's actually gone on record and confirmed that Resistance 3 is going to be getting the one-time use pass called the PSN pass. Obviously, this is following a trend set by games from EA and a couple of other companies where you would get a redemption code that will open up online access for the game. But if the game was sold to GameStop or another company and purchased by someone else, that individual would need to pay $10 to be allowed online access. So Sony will be starting that with Resistance 3. And the Sony reps told Joystick the following. This program will be game-specific. Games that are a part of this program will include a single-use registration code that grants the account holder redeeming the code full online access for that title. The rep went on to add that it's intended to accelerate our commitment to enhancing premium online services across our first-party game portfolio. Translation. We want to make sure that we make the most money selling the game and reselling the game. That's pretty much it. So if you don't redeem your code and you sell it to GameStop, great. Thanks for helping out. But if you do redeem the code to go online and some other poor schmuck buys it, they will need to foot $10 to be able to enjoy the online functionality, which is honestly a little fucked up. But what can you do? That's going to wrap up the video game news for this week. We are steamrolling our way into movie news, and we'll be discussing that right after this commercial break.
2: The following advertisement is for Born Stubborn
0: Born Stubborn Radio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. The Born Stubborn Radio. We talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff.
2: Have good marsh pitting.
0: And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. <laughs> we're big fucking nerds. We love video games. For fuck's sake, man. You're Rich after. loves the show. Yeah. Hey, Rich, you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. Are you sure you like the show? <laughs> yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Isn't Born Stubborn Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. But I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch?
1: Uh, In the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit.
0: Um, Rich, I love you, but I don't know what the fuck you just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit.
1: Exactly.
0: Okay, I don't know what Rich is thinking, but com is where you should be going right now. He's going get it! Have good marsh feeding!
1: a movie segment without opening up with some what the fuck movie news and this piece of movie news takes the cake for this week. The author of the Sex in the City books, Candice Bushnell, has gone on record as saying that she would like teen pop star Selena Gomez to portray a younger Charlotte in a Sex in the City film. She says, "I know I'm going to get into, tr- into a lot of trouble for this, but I was looking at some pictures of Selena Gomez today and th- and I'm thinking she'd make a really good young Charlotte." She's so pretty, I was like, gosh, wouldn't she be great? As of right now, the status of the film, which would be based on Bushnell's The Carrie Diaries, is up in the air. First of all, has Sex in the City even been relevant in the last two years, number one? Number two, it's like, I understand that all these girls that do Disney programming want to turn into whole bags, but let's not accelerate the process, please. We all know what Sex in the City is all about you know it's it's the it's 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 four old ladies in New York complaining about their sex lives and blah 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 yada 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 and drinking martinis and wearing Manolo Blahniks and you know Carrie Bradshaw has a horse face blah 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 et cetera et cetera honestly, this is how it's gonna go from now on it's sequel 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 venturing into prequel 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 simple as that. I'm sure that this will be eaten up by the younger demographic because, you know, the young people haven't learned anything about Sex in the City yet. So let's just fuck them up by taking tween celebrities that we already know and tossing them into a franchise that is on its last legs. How about it, folks? Sex in the City, the prequel with Selena Gomez. Enjoy that. Now, I almost wanted to consider this bit of news what the fuck movie news as well but eh, i'm kind of in a in a 50-50 with it but i'll let you guys decide and De Silva, if you're asking how do i know all this i did watch sex in the city i am comfortable enough in my masculinity to say to say that i watched the first season of sex in the city because at the time there was a lot more sex and a lot less bullshit not only that but it wasn't totally terrible. After the second season, yes, it did turn into a complete shadow of anything original that it once was. I admit it. I'm comfortable enough, man. I can pee standing up. Hey, I watch Sex in the City. No harm in that. But I will tell you this. Sarah Jessica Parker is a horse face bitch. <laughs> Period. She looks like Joe Camel. I've actually looked at a couple of pictures for, of her, and I'm like, damn, she really looks like Joe Camel, especially lately. But that's a, that, I can actually dedicate a complete episode to calling her Joe Camel and countless other equine and fucking four-legged animal hort names that would probably not have any bearing on the rest of this show. So we'll just leave it on the fact that she looks like Joe Camel. Moving on. As I was saying, this particular bit of movie news can fall into what the fuck movie news, might not, I'll let you guys decide for yourselves. But former chairman of Marvel Studios, David Mizell, has joined Rovio as a special advisor. Now you're probably asking yourself, what the fuck does this have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with this. With this new position, he will serve as the executive producer on a big screen adaptation of the hit video game, Angry Birds. Mizell had the following to say. I'm very honored and excited to join Rovio, and my goal is to help unleash its great potential. Rovio has already had amazing success and established a great brand with Angry Birds. The business model, intellectual properties, and the franchise potential of Angry Birds give Rovio the most exciting prospects I've seen in the entertainment business since Marvel in 2003. Rovio CEO Mikhail Head told Forbes the following with regards to the film. We're working on the mythology with the movie script, and we don't want to shape the the mythology too far until we have that one nail in place. We've seen too many movies based on games that have not performed well. Now, let's not kid ourselves, folks. It's fucking Angry Birds. What, what, What mythology do you need? A bunch of stupid green pigs steal the eggs from the birds. The birds proceed to take their little wingless asses and hop into a slingshot that's just magically in every location, and propel themselves at an incredible velocity to knock down structures and kill birds. It's, it's the equivalent of Three Little Pigs and the Big Bad Wolf. Huff and puff and blow the house down. In this case, it's pull and pull and launch the bird at the house. It, come the fuck on, man. You know, I really don't feel bad about an Angry Birds movie. The thing that really bugs me the fuck out is the fact that they take themselves so fucking seriously. Do you honestly think that mythology involves anything like this? Come on, folks. <laughs> about it. Th- does that need to be on the big screen? Does it really? And if so, what are you going to do? You're going to expand on the mythology? You're going to give the birds voices? You're going ber- to give the birds voices. That's what you're going to do. And-, and try and make them all cute and shit. The birds don't need voices. Fuck, we don't even need a- an Angry Birds movie. All we can do is play the game and just play sounds like this on loop. That's it. That's all we can do. Uh, How many people don't find enjoyment in sitting on their toilet, dropping a turd nugget, creating a chocolate city, and hearing that? Shit, I know I do. I know I've sat in the toilet countless times launching little blue birds at green pigs that are wearing construction helmets. How are they putting on these construction helmets if these motherfuckers have no feet? How's that happening? How are the birds flying if they have no wings? Ugh. Just just funny shit like that, which I got to throw out there. And like I said, I have no problem with them doing an Angry Birds movie because like any other property, it's bound to happen. It's the fact that they're talking about mythology and all this. It's birds and fucking pigs and eggs and a slingshot. Stop it. Stop the madness, please. Seriously. Now we got to get into some casting news. We got some G.I. Joe casting news this week which I'm sure are going to bug a couple of you guys out. Last week, of course, I said that Channing Tatum would be returning as Duke, Ray Park as Snake Eyes, Dwayne Johnson would be joining them as Roadblock, um, Elodie Young would be joining them as Jinx, DJ Catrona will be playing Flint, and RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan will be playing the Blind Master. That's a quick recap from last week. Now for casting calls for this week. Adrian Palicki, who of course you may remember from the failed Wonder Woman TV show, has signed on to play Lady J in the upcoming G.I. Joe film. Not only that, but there is a rumor that Bruce Willis may be in G.I. Joe playing the role of Joe Colton. Now, if you don't know who Joe Colton is, do your homework, folks. Joe Colton is the original G.I. Joe. So, how funny is that you get an old action star to play the original G.I. Joe in a sequel to a movie based on a cartoon. Just just take some water and wash that down, folks. I, I have no problem with them doing a G.I. Joe 2, but now you're going and digging up the original G.I. Joe and all this crazy shit. You're going to try and cram in too many pop culture references that are going to go over a lot of people's heads. The way I see it with G.I. Joe films is this. P- kids want to see shit blown up, and they want to see ninjas. Lots of ninjas. Let's get it, let's get it right. Let's think Michael Bay here, folks. Shit getting blown up. Cobra Commander not looking like 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 a fucking reject from the Goonies, but actually looking like Cobra Commander and ninjas. Repeat after me. Blowing shit up. Cobra Commander looking like a member of the KKK and ninjas. That's it. If you don't want to put Cobra Commander in the hood for fear of KKK connotations, then by all means throw him in the... In the- in the metal helmet with no, with the shiny mask. Do something. Having him walking around looking like, like, looking like freaking the Toxic Avenger is not helping anybody, folks. I understand you guys want to be different, but please do, do your homework. Do your fucking homework. In some other pop culture phenomenons that are killing the box office: Transformers, Dark of the Moon, obliterated the box office. Obliterated it. That's all I gotta say. They actually made ninety seven point four million dollars over the three day weekend, easily claiming the number one spot. The movie grossed one hundred and sixty two million dollars domestically in its first five days and three hundred and seventy two million dollars worldwide on a hundred and ninety five million dollar budget. This is of course on par with the first film, but it's a bit behind excuse me, it's a bit behind Revenge of the Fallen. Which is to be expected, only because so many people felt let down with Revenge of the Fallen. That word of mouth is is probably what's going to help Dark of the Moon do better. Not only that, but Slick wrote a pretty kick-ass review of it as well. So I recommend you check that out on MyTakeRadio.com. I will also be reviewing it, hopefully, this weekend, if all goes according to plan. So be on the lookout for that as well. Cars 2 dropped to the number 2 spot, $25.1 million. It's a 62% drop. The film has made $116 million domestically and $198 million worldwide on a budget of $200 million. Not doing so well. Cameron Diaz's Bad Teacher dropped to number three, $14.1 million. It's made $59.5 million domestically, $88 million worldwide. Had a budget of $20 million, obviously successful. Larry Crown with Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts. That's definitely an old people flick opened up at number four with a disappointing $13 million. The star power of Hanks and Julia Roberts did jack shit to help this movie. The film had a worldwide total of $16 million, and it had a $30 million budget. The teen comedy Monte Carlo with Selena Gomez made $1.3 million uh, into in international box office and $8.9 million worldwide. The film had a $20 million budget. Super 8 dropped down two slots to number six. Green Lantern dropped to number seven. The film has made $102 million domestically and $135 million worldwide on a $200 million budget. Mr. Popper's Penguins dropped to eight. Bridesmaids dropped to nine. Midnight in Paris dropped to 10. Now, obviously, this weekend's gonna be a little quiet leading up to the big big release with Captain America. You also got the Smurfs. You've you got a couple of movies coming out, which should definitely pad the box office a bit. I think Transformers is going to have a solid number one slot probably this weekend. Also, Harry Potter. Thanks for the reminder on that slick. Harry Potter is probably going to be the only one that's going to knock Transformers off decisively. And with that, we'll see if both of those franchises will be strong enough to keep away Captain America, which from what I've been hearing is actually quite good. I've heard a couple of people that have seen – um some screenings of it recently that sent me uh, one or two little brief emails not spoiling much letting me know that the movie was actually pretty good when i asked them was it on par with thor they told me to just wait and see but that there's a lot of fan service in there so we'll see what happens when captain america drops on the 22nd now here's something that was crazy when i read it um pirates of the caribbean On Stranger Tides just joined the $1 billion club by generating $1 billion worldwide. It had $233 million domestic and $774 million foreign. It moved into the number seven all-time worldwide grossing chart ahead of the Dark Knight and $17 million behind Alice in Wonderland. Now, with regards to billion-dollar franchises, it's, it's crazy to see them join that particular club they joined such films as avatar titanic lord of the rings return of the king pirates of the caribbean dead man's chest toy story 3 alice in wonderland pirates of the caribbean on stranger tides of course the dark knight harry potter and the sorcerer's stone and pirates of the caribbean at world's end not a pretty bad haul for johnny depp for playing a a crazy pirate billions billions and billions of dollars. It's not even millions anymore. It's fucking billions. And mind you, you have to account for piracy and all this extra shit that movies can still generate a billion dollars is insane. Not only that, but like I say, you got to really throw some asterisks in there, especially when you're looking at movies that came out in 3D because that did help. The Dark Knight didn't come out in 3D. That billion dollars, well-deserved. Lord of the Rings, when it came out, Return of the King, not 3D. Well-deserved. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, also. I, I will tell you guys this, just to jump back a bit. I did see Transformers in IMAX 3D, and I have to say that it was one of the few films I've seen recently that really knew, that really knew what to do with 3D and IMAX together. It was, it was beautiful. It was really an assault on the senses, and it was very well done. Slick also reminded me that The Dark Knight did have IMAX ticket sales, which is true, but IMAX is one thing that you can enjoy because parts of the film were filmed in IMAX. I just think that the 3D crutch is what Hollywood liked to get over. I, I do acknowledge the fact that IMAX probably was a factor in that, but just the, 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 the crutch of 3D is what I like to reference the most. Like I said, Transformers 3D IMAX, um, fantastic from start to finish. We got the I actually woke up at 7.30 in the morning to catch a 9 o'clock show because I hate fucking people. And to prevent myself from possibly committing a crime or drowning a toddler in a soda, I figured let me do the smart thing, wake up early, and go and enjoy the movie. As such, I plan on going to more movies at 9 o'clock in the morning. Actually, I see Slick mentioned here that most of the movies I mentioned were in IMAX and in some cases 3D Not quite. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which is the very first Harry Potter, wasn't in IMAX and wasn't in 3D. Titanic wasn't in IMAX and wasn't in 3D either, because I don't even think IMAX at the time hit its stride. I believe I was actually still working in the movie theater, possibly, when Titanic came out, and it was just regular. Ah, not to be a dick, I did realize that you did say almost. (laughs) I'm keeping a good eye on the chat, folks. Moving on. X-Men First Class is getting a sequel. The Coventry Telegraph reports that the studio is very pleased with the results of the film due to the critical response it has received, and the film is financially in the black. So they are considering doing a sequel to X-Men First Class, but they have not said whether Matthew Vaughn will be back to direct. But he has said that he is keen to return, so we'll see if we'll see We will see if there will be another X-Men first-class story in the near future. Now, of course, it wouldn't be a movie segment without just, just movies that just boggle your fucking mind. Now, what the hell? What is that? Sorry, guys. My screen actually changed into three different colors and blacked out for a minute. That's really weird. Uh, i'm gonna try and see what Slick is writing here. I think he has his hand raised. All right, let me bring him in. Hopefully it works slick you're on the air bro what's up? what's up man what's up,
2: bro?
1: Nothing much, brother. What do you got?
2: Um, two things on the <laughs> on the um the billion dollar club It's like. Uh, I just know, like, at least half of those movies went IMAX. Like, mainly, like, you know, like Avatar and and A Dark Knight and, like, some of the – well, I think most of the um, Pirates movies were available because, you know, Disney goes for every dollar they can get.
1: Absolutely. You know what's crazy, dude, that in looking at this list – Only one Lord of the Rings film cleared a billion dollars, that being the last one. I don't understand how the fuck that happened. The other thing that bugged me out is that Titanic, you know, Lord of the Rings, all those movies are in the billion-dollar franchise. Avatar is in the two billion, almost three billion dollar bracket. Madness, I tell you. Madness. That's because of the 3D IMAX ticket sales, and because they fucking released that shit twice. That is true, dude. But it's it, it's crazy. Like you look at a movie like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. It made 974 million dollars, which you know you do the math. It's almost at the billion dollar mark. The Dark Knight, of course, was one of the one of the films to hit the billion dollar mark. You go into Alice in Wonderland, Toy Story three like you said those are all movies that yeah they're great billion dollar franchises and they're fantastic but that that asterisk has to be there a film like return of the king had no imax help no none of that 3d shit it was just great storytelling very engaging and it made people want to watch which is something that sometimes hollywood has lost sight of now in in i'm and i'm glad you called in referencing to what i was saying with transformers Transformers, for being Michael Bay's swan song, was far more enjoyable than the second one.
2: Far more fun. enjoyable than the first two put together.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the first one kind of moved a little slower because it was kind of setting the stage. But that second one, comparing the second and the third, it's like comparing apples and oranges. And like I told you, I had the, pr- the pleasure of seeing it in IMAX 3D. And dude, it was like it was like my eyes fell out of my head from how insane it was. I just hope
2: whoever picks up the reins for the obvious force movie, I said that shit before you even said it on the site. That's right. Looks at these movies and says two things. One, I need to do some fucking Transformers homework. And two even if you're going to say Michael Bay did a, did a good job, there's just so much more he could have done.
1: Dude, Michael Bay went for the money grab, and this is what he figured. When he realized that he made all that money by the skin of his teeth for the second one, he said, Look, let me not fuck around with these nerds <laughs> and try and do something that they'll marginally enjoy so I can swim through a lot more cash. You know what I mean? Because I almost feel like number two was a gimme. Like, he did number two, and when he made the money he made, I think it probably took him by shock. He's like, wow, really? We made that much money? Because when you, when you pull number two away, other than the great IMAX scenes and shit, a lot of it was just me, you know, banging two toys together and making them fight. We, we, me, you, and, you and I have joked about that on numerous occasions. At least when you go into the third one, you kind of can differentiate certain Decepticons. You know which ones are the foot soldiers. Which almost borrow influence from you know the Transformers' prime cartoon, where you have your main characters and then you have you know Decepticon drones
2: yeah i I'll acknowledge that this, the high I think, thing.
1: yeah i think I think they went with that and and not not to even use that as a crutch, but dude, I think that kind of worked out better because when you reference. So many great characters in the Transformers universe. You usually reference, you know, Megatron, Starscream, Soundwave, Soundwave's accessories, uh, the Constructicons. You know what I mean? Everybody else, not to say that they're they're worthless, but they're kind of just there. You know what I mean? I I mean, I I see what you're saying. It's just. At least from the Decepticons.
2: for, For any future movies, we need
1: more robots and less people. You do need more robots. I think that the human element has to be there because they feel that and, and again, I, I'm a I am do not work in fucking Hollywood, I don't know, but I think that they feel that the human element sells to, to certain to certain people. You know, just like the love story you can you the guys can use that to lure their girls in. Casting certain characters, you know, makes girls wanna watch, makes guys wanna watch. That's how it is. Those of us that are are fans of just the series in general, we're going to watch it because we want to see big fucking robots beat the shit out of each other. That's just the way it is. But they're, they're really trying to, to throw that bit of a human element in there. What I kind of liked with this, with the third one, at least to me, was the fact that it really pushed the envelope. Like the Decepticons were trying to subjugate Earth, period. There was no negotiating. There was no bullshit. We're taking over. You're going to become our slaves, and we're going to kill you if you don't. I actually enjoyed that. I mean, you know, I'm not going to spoil your review so people can read it, but you know, you actually referenced facets of that in your review which were which were well placed. I think that in my eyes it was it was interesting just them the Autobots bringing the fight to the Decepticons just because you don't really see that too much. I they they kind of sugarcoated it in the first one and then in the third one, it, you know, they were like, "All right, Optimus Prime is just going to go ape shit <laughs> and chop up everybody." Yeah, I mean, I
2: personally, as you know, I've always said, I am the Transformers purist. I enjoyed the movie because there were several instances in the movie that, you know, paid homage to the original cartoon, specific episodes of the cartoon. Mm-hmm. So, yep. it's like, it was going to get me with that.
1: Well, one thing I'm going to ask, which, uh, and I'll ask you just because you referenced the highway scene, um, they were mentioning that Michael Bay reused footage from the island to redo the highway scene. Whether that's true or not, do you, do you even remotely give a fuck about it? I honestly thought that the highway scene was fucking fantastic, the way it was island done. Was awful. You know, the, the, the mid-transformation with, with Bumblebee catching, you know, Sam was, was, was ridiculous. I was like, wow, that was perfectly seamless. And it, mind you, you know, that's all digital and shit, but it did not look fake. Which is something I, I, I had to applaud. I was like, wow, they really pushed the envelope on this one. Yeah, I mean, the, the,
2: the effects, considering you've got giant robot cars and shit, they
1: were believable. Yeah, they were very well done. I didn't feel any there were any holes in the effects. I also feel that the scenes that were done in IMAX, which were probably, you know, the scene where the building got destroyed and the highway chase, Like, you'll probably see it on the DVD, which I know has some deleted scenes that they'll be adding But I just think that the overall source material, you know, it's a it's a good way to close it out. But what I did want to ask you while I have you on the line and we're talking about Transformers are two things. Number one, and I mentioned this on on the fan page, but I'll ask you on air: if you had to go back now and look at somebody new to take over the franchise, who would you want to see as a director for a new Transformers franchise going forward? Who do you think would be able to give that series justice in your eyes?
2: I don't know, because it's like, it really depends on, you know, the direction they want to go with it. I mean, off the top of my head, I, I hate to give him any fucking credit right now, but the only person I can think of who's had some, you know, decent, successful robots is James Cameron.
1: You know what? James Cameron would probably do it. Do a really good job with it. But here's one thing that, in discussing who can direct this movie, some people may not have given this any thought. I think that when you approach Hollywood with a movie like Transformers, you gotta approach Hollywood like, yo, I need a lot of money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you want to make sure yeah. that the effects are solid. And I think that you can't just toss any. Any do- doofy director in there? That's one thing with Michael Bay. That motherfucker. Every movie he makes costs dough. <laughs> you know, when you look if at the bad boys film,
2: Transformers
1: movie, you need like Avatar money. Exactly. So your your you're James Cameron uh, rationale, dude. Hell, I would I would pay to see that just to see what kind of a, a mythology he'd go with. Because you know, it makes you wonder would he go all out with with action sequences and shit. You know like t two or would he would he tone it down and go more into the you know the origins and some of the cybertron stuff? I think uh, dude, I think Cameron would be badass. imagine that avatar money and avatar technology behind transformers. It would be sickening,
2: yeah, and the transformers would be distinguishable
1: they would <laughs> they would be distinguishable that is true now it's funny because I was actually the the reason why I asked you about that was because, you know, Tom DeSanto was asked about what's going to happen with the Transformers franchise now that it's, you know, for for all intents and purposes, over. And his response, dude, that's why I asked, was very interesting. Tom DeSanto and um, Don Murphy, Don Murphy addressed it on his forum. He said, when asked what happens next, he said, certainly not a reboot. He said, we haven't lost the Transformers. They didn't grow up or become expensive like Tobey Maguire. I don't know what happens next, but I'm pretty sure there will be a second trilogy. I'm pretty sure it'll kick ass, and I'm pretty sure some of you will hate it because it wasn't all bots. <laughs> so, so with that said, that answers your question. Now, obviously, they want to do a second trilogy. I, I honestly like your where your idea is going, and and involving James Cameron, dude, would be would be sickening. That would would really be badass, but I don't know if he'd he'd jump into that. Some people are saying that they'd like Steven Spielberg to get into it, like get hands-on with it.
2: No. Steven Spielberg is good at effects, but Steven Spielberg is not good at violence.
1: Ah, nice way of looking at it. I don't want to
2: see Megatron with a fucking gigantic walkie-talkie on his right arm.
1: I see what you're saying. I I really I, I like Cameron. We were we were joking I know that Strider mentioned on the fan page Zack Snyder playing around. You know, he's had a joking around. But I think Zack Snyder from a violent standpoint would do a pretty good job.
2: It's like Michael Bay got the explosions right, but
1: he got like, the action
2: that needed to be there. How is some how is some affects people that actually know how to design robots.
1: Yeah, well, that's always, that's always going to be an issue just because the designs of the Transformers, like if you look at the newer cartoons, they've evolved the designs, and the designs in the newer cartoons actually mimic those of the movie to an extent. It's just a matter of what we were saying about making them more distinguishable. Like you can distinguish Optimus Prime from Bumblebee, Ironhide, Ratchet, Sideswipe, uh, Dino, who was one of the new guys, and the Wreckers, which were pretty cool. Like, those guys were distinguishable, but the Decepticons, it's exactly what I told you. They went with core guys and drones because <laughs> they knew they knew they weren't going to go and be like, all right, we got to get every named guy in there. They took the essential guys and then a bunch of cannon fodder drones. Like, you know, you can't not have Shockwave. Like, you and I were talking about that before the movie came out. Like, Shockwave is a dude that you know needs to be there. Same yeah. thing with Soundwave. Same thing with Scorponok. Same thing with um, you you, you could have. It's a miracle that they didn't try and do something crazy and throw Astro Train in there, cause he's you know he's he's a guy that everybody knows. But it's like, I just want to see a
2: Megatron who doesn't look like somebody detonated shrapnel. a hand grenade like in his
1: face. <laughs> that Megatron looked like a pile of shrapnel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> with a face. I tell you what, though, I did like the way he looked in the third one. He looked really homeless.
2: <laughs> I, had, I mean, I had a big, you saw what I wrote. I was like, I had a big issue with that. I was Like, okay, like five years passed since you got your ass kicked by Optimus Prime.
1: Nobody could fix a,
2: you. <laughs> you used to be a tank and a jet at the same time. You got a new transform. You're a big ass truck, and nobody fucking fixed your head.
1: Dude, but but you know did what I realized? You a big
2: fucking hole in your head. Nobody fixed that shit.
1: Well, dude, he had it fixed by he was getting it fixed by those cockroaches. <laughs> he was but, that shit out? But but on the but on the real on the real though, I did I did I have noticed this and maybe I'm missing something and maybe my 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 Transformers fanboyism isn't there, but I can't remember who the fuck was a Decepticon medic. <laughs> Thinking about that, ration, away, that's what I'm saying. Had to
2: a Decepticon medic with a Constructoricon because they built that yeah, fucking
1: but, thing. Yeah, but that's what I was saying. Like when you when you wrote what you wrote in your review, and then I saw the movie, I said, "Yo, I've never heard of these dudes having a medic ever."
2: They obviously have one though, because fucking Star screams to get holes put in him like on a daily basis. This Most of true. them by
1: Megatron. Yeah, I don't know, man. I thought about that after you said it, and then I watched it. And, I, and then, you know, just thinking back to just watching the, the, the shows and reading the books, I'm like, you know, I remember Ratchet for the Autobots, and he was an ambulance. But I'm like, I don't remember any, like, Decepticon ambulance ever. <laughs> like, like seriously. Like, I don't remember, you know, like like a purple and green ambulance that Starscream got loaded. And I'm like, that never happened. But last bit of Transformer news, and you can help me wrap this up. The uh, rumor of Jason Statham being considered as a lead in the next Transformers movie. Thoughts? I
2: love Jason Statham, and he's a great action action um, actor, but it's like, for what?
1: Exactly. Because you,
2: you're going to cast fuck? him in a human role. He's not going to voice a Transformer. So what purpose does he serve? Because my thing is, I understand, you know, the last movie you had a, a good squad of, you know, soldiers going against Decepticons and shit. And they they held their own, but let's be real. You know, a, a human a human being is like six feet tall. Megatron right. is about eighty feet fucking tall. What
1: are you gonna do against him? I don't know, kid. It's a motherfucking transporter. <laughs> It's the transporter, son. Come on, it's, it's <laughs> fucking, fucking Chev Chelios up in this motherfucker. Hello, I'll fucking kill you, Decepticon motherfuckers. You dirty buggers. Seriously though, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, you
2: know, like I can't see like a bunch of people like really going
1: head up against some
2: Decepticon.
1: Well, the whole reason why this rumor picked up a lot of legs too is because he dates. Um, Rosie Whiteley, that's why so everybody's like, oh he already has the connection, and you know, Shia said that he's not going to take do another film in the series, so you know, we'll throw the transporter in there, but I'm like, alright what's he going to do, run around, imagine him yelling for Optimus, like Shia, what's he going to do hey, hey, Optimus hey fucking dying over here They're Like, come <laughs> on man, fuck out of here you know, like, like, like what's he going to do, coat himself in grease and fight Decepticons in a fucking warehouse? Come on, stop. But we could, we could beat this shit up all day. I'm actually going to keep you on so you can help me wrap this up. I'm going to give you this particular movie, and you, uh, I, I want you to let, let me finish breaking it down, and you give me your take on it, because I'm sure you're going to love this. Adam Sandler is signed on to voice the lead role of Dracula in Hotel Transylvania. The CG family comedy will be directed by Gendi Tarkovsky, who did Samurai Jack. It co-stars Kevin James, Fran Drescher, David Spade, Steve Buscemi, Molly Shannon, and CeeLo Green. Now, before I go any further, here's the plot synopsis. Welcome to Hotel Transylvania, Dracula's lavish five-stake resort, where monsters and their families can live it up free from meddling from the human world. But there's a little-known fact about Dracula. He's not only the Prince of Darkness, but he's also a dad, overprotective of his teenage daughter, Mavis. (laughs) Dracula fabricates tales of elaborate dangers to dissuade her adventurous spirit. As a haven for Mavis, he opens the Hotel Transylvania, where his daughter and some of the world's most famous monsters, Frankenstein and his Bride, the Mummy, the Invisible Man, a family of werewolves, and more, can kick back safely and in peace. For Dracula, catering to all these legendary monsters is no problem, but his world could come crashing down when one ordinary guy stumbles on the hotel and takes a shine to Mavis. Thoughts?
2: <laughs> you said he's voicing Dracula, so I'm taking it this is
1: animated. Animated or CG, actually CG family comedy. But think of this, Samurai Jack, which I know you know you have a you, you have a soft spot for, but. Kevin James, Fran Drescher, David Spade, Busemi, Molly Shannon, and Silo Green.
2: <laughs> it sounds like they're going to misuse Tartakovsky's talents because it doesn't there's like going to be enough violence in it. But then you know, again, not- you know, he also has involvement with the Powerpuff Girls to some extent, so it can be violent and comedic at the same time. Exactly. Can, I mean... But- with him working on it, I would, I would definitely give it a chance. I would say it'd be something worth seeing. But also, this I, would be the first time he's done a big screen thing versus something just right. for Cartoon Network. So it's definitely a wait and see. Like I said, with him at the, at the helm, I'd give it a shot, but it's definitely a wait and see.
1: Yeah, I figured, I figured you'd want to know because, like I said, you're, you're familiar with uh, uh, Genndy Tarkovsky's work. So I said, let me, let me run this by Slick when he calls in because I figured he'd want to know. And uh, the other last bit of movie news is Warner Brothers is going to be working on a new comic property from Image Comics and converting it to film. That comic book being Undying Love, which is written and illustrated by Tom Coker and Daniel Friedman. The plot summary for the comic is a horror action tale. Equal parts vampire mythology and Chinese folklore, which is set in modern day Hong Kong. Basically, it follows ex soldier John Sargent and his and who has fallen for a beautiful Chinese woman named May. The only thing keeping the star crossed lovers apart is the fact that May is a vampire. To free May from the curse, Sargent sets out to destroy the vampire that made her. The only problem was May was turned by one of the most powerful vampires in history. What do you think?
2: See, the thing with image comics, they, a lot of it was a toss-up. There was, you know, they had houses within image that some of them had
1: really good talent. And, right. And,
2: you know, then there was some shit.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great image books. I mean, I can go down the list. You know, Youngblood, Cyberforce, Spawn, uh, Shadowhawk, Savage Dragon, uh, Backlash, Savage Dragon, I really had a love-hate relationship with because there were certain books where I read, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Then, were, then there were those couple of books where they wrote it and made it really comedic and hokey. And I was like, oh, get the fuck out of here, man. It's like, you're a badass dude that's like pretty much the Incredible Hulk and you're shoot, spitting one-liners in a tight-ass cop suit. <laughs> exactly. Savage I just, Dragon I just, was
2: basically a non, you know... He's basically the the toxic Avenger without a fucked up
1: face. That's a good way of looking at it. I mean, the the thing with Image is there's so many properties in there that really definitely can get the big screen treatment. But like I've said, and we've discussed this on numerous episodes, just venturing that deep into the comic book companies and just dragging out all these properties is just going to actually do more harm than good. There really needs to be a dry period where not so many comic book films come out back to back to back to back.
2: I agree, because look what happened with Priest. It had promise, but it just... I mean, I saw it, I liked it, but I'm going to tell you, it wasn't anything really special.
1: But that's what I'm saying. There's too many not really special comic book flicks that are coming out. Like, everybody was like, oh, Jonah Hex is coming out. Dude, I watched Jonah Hex... On three different occasions, I've seen car wrecks on the Long Island Expressway that were more entertaining. Damn, dude, it, it was bullshit. You can even add, like, Josh Brolin did a review, and they were like, "What movie did you do you regret?" Dude, he, he before I even finished Jonah Hicks, I'm like, I'm like, wow, it's like you were in a movie with John Malkovich, and it sucked. How does that happen? But, you know, some, some characters just don't translate well to film. I think Image has such a strong library of characters. Like, one character I've always felt that would benefit from the big screen treatment would be Shadowhawk. Just because his character was really interesting, and it had a little bit of that Punisher vibe. And you can get away with doing some really cool shit. But that's a character that'll probably fall through the cracks and never get acknowledged.
2: You know who Jason Statham should play?
1: Clifter. He'd make a good grifter. I think. I think the problem is that that receding ass hairline isn't helping him any. <laughs> well, if grifter him, wears a
2: freaking mask. You could put a wig on him.
1: They could, man. But Jason him with some with a with a corny ass wig. Do yourself a favor and pull up uh, Bruce Willis. I think in the Jackal that he had a wig on. Boy, did he look like a complete tool. <laughs> but um. That's pretty much it. I think we, we covered everything. Is there anything you want to add, dude?
2: Nah, just, uh, I don't know where the hell they, they plan on going with the next X-Men movie.
1: I don't know, dude. First First Class was fun as a one-off flick, but, it, uh, again, if you want to keep it in the same, con by putting it in the same continuity as the existing X-Men films, they fuck themselves. Because it's yeah. like they kind of st- still have to acknowledge shit from that, from from those stories, what they should have just done is, is is called it a reboot and move the fuck on. You want to put Wolverine in there, that's great. You want to put Storm in there, that's great. And little little things like that, little acknowledgments to the other movies, that's fine. But don't use the source material. You know, don't use Patrick Stewart in a wheelchair and his voiceover, or you know, Ian McKellen, and and try and tie that together because, like I said, they just fucked themselves. They really, they really, I mean,
2: as as bad as it was to be as an X Men movie, I thought it was a really good movie. So maybe they'll pull out of their ass one more time.
1: They will, but that's what I'm saying. Like, as a standalone X Men flick, like, if you went and watched it without knowing about the three previous X Men movies, you'd be like, wow, this movie was badass. But in going to see it, And then knowing that the other three movies are out there, you're just like, wow, it's too completely – even the way the style of the movie was is completely different. You you know, they use the crutch that it takes place in the 60s, and that's fine. But the overall presentation and style of the movie was nowhere near close to the existing X-Men films. Like, you can tell. You can tell the, 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 the subtle changes right off the bat. From the costumes, to the way they spoke, to the characters that were shown, etc., etc., etc.
2: I mean, they fucked it up, because you have Storm in that movie. She looks like she's about 10. So, exactly. if, that, if that movie took place in the 60s, that means in X-Men 1, Halle Berry was 50 years old.
1: There you go. But that's what I'm saying. Like, like certain Those were certain things that, while they, they, they tried to do a lot of good fan service in acknowledging them... They they kind of fuck themselves too by by going in that direction. But you know, right right now it's being talked about, so I'm sure things will become revealed more. You know, revealed in a couple of months, especially once it comes out on DVD and Blu-ray, and they tally up those totals as well as well. So you know, we'll see how it pans out from there.
2: Another train wreck. Waiting to yeah. happen.
1: There you go. Hopefully not, dude.
2: You're right. I hope not, cause I I couldn't stand the first three fucking movies.
1: Yeah, I know that everybody has a love hate relationship with those, but you know I, I'm gonna hold out hope for now because, like I said, I enjoyed the first one. I think Matthew Vaughn did a good job, and I think he he's a good director for stuff like this because he has a he has a different vision on it, and he adds a little bit of more he adds a little bit more personality to it. Like I said, they made Magneto a character that you can actually give a fuck about, you know, and not just look at him as default bad guy number one. They need to just
2: fucking say it's a reboot.
1: Yep, that's it. Just be like, look, it's a reboot. Yeah, sure, we didn't say that in the first one, but yeah, it's a reboot. And just, you're right. Just just acknowledge it as such and move on. But at this point, so they're not going to do it. Fuck the movies. this is what we do doing now. Yeah, well, they're not going to do it, homie. I I can tell you that for a fact. All right, right, dude. I'm going to wrap this up, and I will talk to you later. Peace. All right, man. Peace. All right, guys. That pretty much wraps up the show for this week. Honestly, it was, like I said, a light week with the holiday weekend. Next week, we celebrate My Take Radio episode 100, which will be back to its normal time Thursday july 14th 2011 so tune in for that and we're gonna try and get a couple of guests from our past we're gonna get some new guests that are gonna take us into the future and you can expect all the crazy shit that you know and love from the past 99 episodes of mtr going into 100 and beyond i just want to take a moment and thank our hard-working staff that do everything that they can to help make mtr successful guys like slick Josh, my fiance Andrea, who celebrated her birthday today. Happy birthday, uh, Bronx! All you know, all you guys missed. Even those that help behind the scenes, our content partners, guys like MMA Valor, who go out of their way to support the brand. It's it's just it's just a, an honor giving you guys a hundred episodes of just craziness, giving you a glimpse into my life, giving you guys. Uh, different spins on stuff that you all know and love, whether it's mixed martial arts, wrestling, movies, video games, technology, comics. We run the gamut, and you know what? And I said this a couple of weeks back, and I quote Melvin Manoff, who's a mixed martial arts fighter and a kickboxer. At this point, I live for this shit. I enjoy entertaining you guys for three hours every Thursday. I'd like to do it more often. For the time being, I can't, but rest assured, The quality you've come to expect from MTR will continue past episode 100. So I'm not going to sit here and do all this nicey, nicey, cute shit. That's going to wrap it up, folks. My Take Radio, episode 99 for Wednesday, July 6, 2011. If you'd like to be a guest on on a future episode of MTR or have any questions or concerns, feel free to email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you're on Twitter, you can follow the show account, MyTakeRadio, or you can follow the personal account, Rich_MTR. MTR. If you're on Facebook, head over to Facebook.com slash MyTakeRadio, hit that like button, and join the rest of the MyTakeRadio army in showing your support. We are well on our way to 1,200 fans. Will you be number 1,200? Hit that like button and find out. Last but not least, MySpace, now owned by Justin Timberlake. What happens with it? Who knows? But we're still on there, myspacecom radio. And of course, if you want MTR to go on your Android or Apple device, head over to the Android Marketplace or the iTunes Store and purchase the MyTake Radio app for $1.99. Last but not least, you can follow MyTake Radio on Tumblr, mtrextras.tumblr.com. We have a presence there. Uh, we're, we're in a couple of different places. So, but Tumblr, Facebook. MySpace, Twitter—that's pr- that's primarily where we hang out. And of course, stop by our forums, mytakeradio.com/forums. Join in on the conversation. We got a ton of different boards covering a ton of different stuff—not only what's covered on the show and on the site, but a couple of other things as well. And you'll get to meet a uh, couple of really great fans who support the show. So stop in mytakeradio.com/forums. All right, guys, that's it. I'm gonna wrap it up, and I will catch you guys next week for the big MTR 100. Once again, thank you all for your support, and I'll catch you guys later. Peace. Taking us out this week, we actually got a couple of different outro musics, uh, outro music, outro music, excuse me. But um, I'm thinking that we're going to be taken out by the Super Street Fighter 4 Music by Pixie Tricks and Zircon from ocremix.org. You can get that at ocremix.org, the letter O, the letter C, remix.org.